Um, Philippians chapter 3, and we are in verse 12, and says this, not that I've that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Father, we pray for your word. Father, as we look at it, Father, we, we want to ask that you would just enlighten us for us, speak to us, and change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we have already met Paul, the accountant, who evaluates his life, and, and he discovers as he does that, that the only person that is of true value to him is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, everything else by comparison is absolute rubbish in comparison to Jesus. And he wants to warn his friends. In fact, he, he tells them that they, they must not think that they can somehow work out their salvation by, by either trying to earn it or trying to work hard to achieve it. In fact, the only righteousness that is acceptable to God is faith-based righteousness. That's where we were last week, if you can remember back that far. But then there's an opposite danger that we also must, or that also must, needs to be addressed. And Paul warns us against the danger of thinking, I've already made it. Now, we know that our salvation, that our, that, that our forgiveness comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift. Okay, so we don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died for our sins, when he took our place when he rose again from the dead. So this gift comes to us completely free. But also we must remember that there's a danger that we can begin to think that because of this, we can think, I'm already perfect, so I don't need to do anything more. Or even, because Jesus has done all of this for me, I just want to sit back and I'm going to do nothing else ever. I, I don't need to make any effort in the Christian life. I'm just going to sit and wait. I've got my ticket for heaven, and I'm going to just hang on there on either until Jesus Christ comes back again, or I go to be with him. Now, of course, there are some elements of truth within both of those statements, because in Christ, God treats us as perfect. After all, it is because of God's work that we are sustained, that we are equipped, that we actually are enabled to live for him. And this is the process of justification and sanctification within our lives, both of which, of course, are a work of God's grace. And once you've been saved, once you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been made right with God. It means that God's view of you is that you are holy and blameless before God. 
completely righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the process of justification. Just as if I've never sinned. But yet, at the same time, while we are still on earth, we are still struggling with sins within our lives. I think that's the reality for, for all of us here. We, we're still looking and, and trying and, 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 I guess, daily trying to learn what it is to grow and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And this growth is, is not some sort of constant um, growth. It's, it's often a few steps forward and maybe one or two steps back again, and, and, and sometimes we go forward a long way and we, we slip back a little bit. But over time, as we're maturing in Christ, we hopefully are growing more and more like Jesus Christ, the process of sanctification, this process of becoming like Jesus. Now, these truths actually should lead us into action, not into apathy or into some sort of laziness in our Christian walk. In fact, because we've been made perfect in Christ, I will strive, I will, I will pursue, I will press, I will run to become what I already am in him. I'm going to fight against that sin within my life. I'm, I want to put that sin to death within my body because heaven is promised to me. I want to push on to get there. In fact, the sign that God is working with, within me is that I am working for him. In fact, for this to become a reality, it doesn't mean, therefore, that God is going to bypass my will. I do have a responsibility within this. And what Paul is saying here, the Christian life is like a race that God has called us to take part in. And the finishing line is ahead of us. And you need to get rid of every distraction. In fact, make every effort to keep going, to pressing on, to finally get there. So the picture that we see in this, these few verses we've just read, in verses 12 to 16, is Paul the athlete. As he presses forward towards the finishing line, as he runs the Christian race. In fact, in all of these, Paul with his spiritual mind, he's looking at life from God's point of view from God's perspective. And the result of this, he doesn't get upset by the things behind him, nor even the things around him, or actually even the things that are in front of him, because these things cannot rob him of joy, because his joy is in Jesus. And that's key as we move forward. These things can't rob us of joy, because his joy is in Jesus Christ. So for the purposes of today, I want you to think like athletes, Okay? I want you to imagine, if you need to imagine, maybe you don't, but if you need to imagine, I want you to imagine you are runners. Okay, you got your running shoes on, laced up nicely, you head out through the door, and you begin to run along the road. As you start, your breathing gets a little bit faster, your heart rate's pumping a little bit harder than normal, but you're comfortable. You're just jogging along the road, just following the twists and the bends of the road. You know your destination. That's certain. The road sometimes feels a little bit unfamiliar to you. You get the picture? Yeah? Yeah? You with me? Jogging with me? Thank you. Yeah, good. Excellent. We're going. Good. So at, at times you settle into a rhythm and you're just plodding and the miles are just ticking over, just, just nicely ticking over. And then you come to some of the hills and the hills are a wee bit tougher. And you climb the hill, 
breathing's getting a bit faster now. You may even slow down to a walk on some of the very, very steep hills. You get to the brow of the hill, and then as you get over the top of your hill, you begin to stretch your stride, and you, as you begin to, to just glide, hopefully, down the hill ahead of you, always keeping your balance always looking ahead, watching where your next step is going to go. And this is the picture that Paul is talking about in in, in chapter 3 and verse 13. He talks about reaching forth, literally means stretching as in a race. Now it's important to note here that Paul is not talking about being saved, okay? He's not talking about salvation. If this was about salvation, it would be a work-based righteousness completely contradicting everything he said in the first 11 verses of this particular chapter. This is a powerful picture of a person who is saved, who's already a Christian, who's already a citizen of heaven. In fact, in exactly the same way in Paul's day that an had to be a citizen before they could take part in the Greek games. See, no athlete could turn up at the games and think, I'm going to run this race in order to become a citizen. It just wasn't allowed. You have to be a citizen first of all. And it's because that you are already children of God, citizens of heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you both have the responsibility, but also the honor and privilege of running the race, of achieving the goals that God has set ahead of you. It's actually also what Paul was talking back in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, when Paul says, work out your salvation because it's God who works in you. And every believer is in a race. Yeah, you're in a race, you're on a track, you're, you're, you're on a road, you've got a special course ahead of you to run, and every runner has to achieve his or her goals. Now, my goals are not your goals, and your goals, they're not my goals. God has given each one of us a road to run, a place, a direction to go, and if we reach those goals in the way in which God has, has planned for us to, to reach them, we will receive a reward. Bible talks about rewards, about crowns. If we fail, we lose our reward. Now, we do not lose our salvation, okay? Our salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of his precious blood that was shed on the cross that we are saved. Not talking about that. Your salvation is absolutely secure in him. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hands, it says but surely you will want to fulfill the purposes of God, the purposes that God has called you to. So Paul spells out some essentials for winning the race, for receiving the promised reward. And there are five altogether I've got to mention. The first one is this, dissatisfaction. Not the one that might spring to your mind immediately, admittedly, but dissatisfaction, this is verses 12 and 13. Now, Paul is obviously satisfied with Jesus, but he is not satisfied with his Christian life and his Christian run. And there is such a thing as sanctified dissatisfaction. 
And it's almost essential if we want to progress within the Christian life. Now, if you're a runner, which of course you all are now, um, but if you're a runner, you will know something of this sort of feeling. I've been running marathons for over 20 years now, on, on and off. And, you know, the very, very time that I've ever managed to achieve is way over an hour and a bit slower than some of the elite athletes. And I know that if I want to get better, I've got to train harder. I've got to, to get faster somehow. And as a runner, I guess I run with a level of dissatisfaction. It's why we wear a watch on our hands, why we, watch, why we, we check our minute per mile um, time. It's, it's, it's why we, we want to always just see, can we do a little bit better, run a little bit, little bit faster? In fact... It's probably the only thing that gets me out through the front door when it's about minus two outside and the rain is just emptying out of the heavens. Why do I do it? Because I want to train. I want to get better in what I'm doing. I want to be able to race faster when the, when the marathon comes or the half marathon comes. Now, what I could do, of course, is compare myself to other people. So every half marathon, there are a few people who turn up who do, do no training. All right? There's always a few of them. And they, 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 they turn up and they run, run about the first five or six miles and then they walk the rest of it. Now, if I compare myself to them, I could feel quite good about myself. I could think I'm not a bad runner after all. But the thing is, their race is not my race. And I don't compare myself to them. Instead, I compare myself to the best and I press on and I run the best and I run as fast as I possibly can. Listen, there are too many Christians who are just self-satisfied because they compare their running with that of other Christians, and often those who are not making very much progress. And Paul just doesn't do that. In fact, if Paul had compared himself to other Christians, he really could have felt quite proud about himself, even let things up a little bit. But Paul does not compare himself to others. Instead, he compares himself to himself, and most importantly, he compares himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knows he's not perfect, but he does know that he has been made perfect through Jesus Christ. He knows his identity is in Christ. He is secure there. He is comfortable within that, but the mark of his maturity is the knowledge that he has not yet reached his goal. And the mature Christian honestly evaluates his or her life and they press on to do better. Now, self-evaluation can be a dangerous thing because we generally tend to err on one side or the other. We either begin to think, you know what, I'm doing really well. And, I'm, and we actually think we're better than we really are and we become proud. Or more commonly, we think, you know what, I'm hopeless I just, I just can't do this, you know, and, and we think we're worse than we, we really are, and we become, we become discouraged. But both those things are wrong. Now, Paul has got no illusions about himself, but he does have an honest evaluation of himself, and he keeps pressing forward. And this, this, there's this, this divine um, dissatisfaction is essential in our spiritual progress, just wanting to press into God more. In fact, in fact, one of the, the great songwriters writes in Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for the living God. It's a good prayer. That hungering, that thirsting after God. And listen, this level of, of um, dissatisfaction as we want to press into God more, as we want to know Him better, as we want to push into Him, is essential in the Christian life, in the Christian run. The second thing then is this, beginning in the middle of verse 13, devotion. Little phrase that Paul uses, but one thing I do. And the secret to pressing on is to concentrate on one thing. Yet there are many Christians that get so involved in so many different activities in life and, and, and they, they even forget what, what, is, what is God's direction for me? What's God actually specifically saying for me to do in this particular moment? And I, I'm guilty of that. It was the decision to focus on just one thing that was the turning point actually in D.L. Moody's life. Before the tragedy of the Chicago fire of 1871, Mr. Moody was involved in Sunday school promotions, in the YMCA, in evangelistic meetings, and in fact in many other different activities. But after that fire, he devoted himself to one thing, to evangelism. And Paul's phrase, one thing I do, became a reality for him. The result of that, he was able to speak to millions of people. Millions of people heard the gospel. Many of them, many of their lives transformed, becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the true follower of Jesus Christ must devote themselves to running the Christian race. But in the same way that no athlete can be successful in everything they do, Instead, they must learn to specialize. Remember after I ran probably one of my very fastest marathons, I thought I would take up and try a bit of triathlon. So I thought I'd better learn to swim. So I got into the pool, and I did one length of the 25-meter pool, and I am gasping for air. I am I nearly drowned myself in the, in the process of doing this. I'm, I'm able to run mile after mile, comfortably really easily and then so I had a little break and I thought I'll, I'll try another length I couldn't even finish a second length of the pool and discovered I am I'm running fit but I'm not swimming fit and there are few athletes that have that are proficient in lots of different sports but the winners are those who concentrate who focus on the one activity who keep their eyes on the goal who let nothing distract them, they devote themselves entirely to their calling. James says, a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. We need to concentrate. We need to be focused with a Christ-like mind, but that is the secret to power within our lives. Just like a river, a river that seems out of control, but once there is, once the, you put a dam in place, once you take control over it, it, it can become a great source of power. So is the devoted mind. And it's so important that we live for what really matters. And the question is, what is God calling for you? What is God's calling? What is that one thing? Now, I know there not, not, not often that simple, but there is one thing often within our lives that God has called us at this particular, what is God's call for you to do at this particular moment? 
Nick and Jill are, are planning or looking to, to start off just an amazing adventure with, with a, um, a, a, a center for, for helping and rehabilitate folks with, with alcohol and, and with, with, with addiction problems. A focus, real, real focus, no God's call upon their life and they're pursuing that. And, and actually all of their, I've been chatting with all their energy is focused in, they're thinking about it, it's, it's taken up. And it's, it's a great thing to be able to do, to know what, what's God called you? What's God's call upon your life? If you don't know what that is, I can suggest that you get alone with God and you find out, God, what, what, have you, what is that one thing that you call on me to do at this particular moment within my life? Find it and pursue it. Have focus on it. Have devotion towards it. Third thing is direction. So this is the last part of verse 13. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Not only are we to be devoted to just one thing, but Paul tells us to forget the past. And so often people just go through life actually being controlled by the past. But the Christian should run the race looking forwards. Let you into a little tip for those of you who are budding runners. Don't run backwards. That's for free, okay? Don't run looking over your shoulder either. Keep facing forward. Keep running and looking ahead. If you run with your looking behind you, you're going to just bump into things, collide into things, probably trip over and injure yourself. We need to be future orientated. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, I want you to know something here. In Bible terminology, when it says to forget... It doesn't mean to fail to remember. Apart from obvious medical conditions like Alzheimer's or something like that, no mature person can forget what happens in the past. You may wish to, you may hope you could forget some of those bad memories, but you can't. But what to forget means is that you are no longer to be influenced by or affected by. So when God promises in the Bible and he says, I will remember their sins no more in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17, he's not suggesting that somehow God has developed completely some sort of bad memory, but that he will no longer hold our sins against us. So to forget what lies behind us it's not about some sort of mental gymnastics to try and erase the sins and the mistakes of the past. It simply means to break the power of the past by living for the future. You cannot change your past. I hope you know that. It's just not possible. But you can change the meaning of the past. A good example of this is found in the Old Testament. A guy called Joseph. In Joseph's life, he was mistreated by his brother brothers even, he was sold into slavery. However, he saw the past from God's point of view. He saw it from God's perspective. And as a result of that, he wasn't able to hold on to any animosity or anger against his brothers. In fact, Joseph knew that God had a plan for his life, a race for him to run. And to fulfill that plan, he looked ahead and he broke the power of the past within his life. And your past may make you feel weak. It may even make you think that you are no good for God. 
But if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he has already forgiven all of your sins and mistakes, even the horrific ones that you, you, just, you just particularly feel guilty about. And we need to forget them also because God has already forgotten and forgiven them. And Jesus has taken your sins away. They've been dealt with on the cross. In fact, back even in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah 43, it says, I, God speaking, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And, and too many Christians are chained up or trapped by the regrets of the past. And as a result, they're trying to run the race, but always looking backwards. Is it any wonder why they stumble and fall or why they're getting in the way of other Christians? But also there are some Christians who are looking back at the successes of the past, maybe a, an event in their life, something that they feel particularly proud of, but they're always looking back over the shoulder. It's not equally as bad. You, the past must be put behind you and the things ahead of you must take their place. And this morning... I wonder even as I'm speaking, what has God by his spirit been bringing up within you? That thing that you'd feel you cannot let go of. And so often we come to the cross of Jesus Christ with our sins and even with our guilts. And we bring them to him. And what we do is we walk away still holding on to them and just keeping them to ourselves. As we come to Jesus, and perhaps this morning this may be a breakthrough in some of your lives. You come, you bring them to the cross of Christ, and you leave them there. They've been dealt with. Jesus' blood is enough. He's covered them all, and you walk away with your hands, with yourselves set free. We need to look forward. We need to look onward, not behind us. The fourth thing is this. We need determination. Verse 14. Paul says, I press. I press on. You know, it's possible to have this sort of... Um, spiritual dissatisfaction, this devotion, this direction, but actually still lose the race and actually lose our reward. See, a person doesn't become a winning athlete by reading the right books or by listening to the right lectures or reading the right magazines or watching inspiring documentaries or even by standing on the sideline of the race. He or she becomes a winning athlete by getting into the, into the games, by training, and by be, being, being determined to win. Now, of course, as everything, there are two extremes that we need to try and avoid. The first is this, I must do it all. And the second one, God must do it all. And, and both of these things will, head to fail, will lead to failure. A little phrase we hear sometimes, let go and let God. It may be a clever slogan which we'd like to live by. It just doesn't describe the progress in the, in the Christian life. In the same way that, a, that the captain of a rugby team won't go to his rugby mates, teammates and say, okay guys, let go and let the coach do it all. Don't work so well. Nor will he want to say to his teammates, listen guys, ignore everything the coach says. Okay, let's do our own thing here. Let's just have a go. Again, both extremes are completely wrong. And the Christian runner with the spiritual mind needs to realize that God must work in him or her if they are going to win the race. 
but the purpose of God working in you is so that he can work through you. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves in godliness. Now, some Christians are so busy dying to sin and dying to self and and dying to everything that they never actually are alive enough to ever do any running again. The opposite is also true that we can sometimes get so feel we're so important in our own effort, we can just do everything all by ourselves, by our own efforts, that we never stop to read God's word or to pray or to receive God's power or the filling of his spirit within our lives. Instead, we must press on towards the goal that's talked about in verse 14, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is this goal? It talks about reward that is waiting for you, a crown that is waiting. We're not told the precise details of what that looks like. And again, worth emphasizing that Paul is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about the work of Christ. You have been saved by faith in God alone, not by works, okay? We get that, hopefully, yeah? This is not what he's talking about. Instead, what he's simply saying, that just as the athlete is rewarded for his or her performance, so the faithful believer will be crowned when Jesus returns. You run well, there is a reward waiting for you, a crown that will never fade. And no matter how successful you may appear in the eyes of men or women around you, you cannot be rewarded unless you hold, unless you take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Run your race with determination and run it well. Brings us to the last point, and that is discipline. Verses 15 and 16. You know, it's difficult enough to run hard, but every runner needs to obey the rules and to train well. You know, in in all the different running events, there are rules that need to be adhered to and to be obeyed. So we take a 100 meters race, for example. You're not allowed to start before anybody else, so I'm told. No false starts are allowed. You aren't allowed to cross over lanes and distract the other runners in order to win. That just seems to be frowned upon. You see, breaking the rules means that you will not reach your goal. You'll not, you'll not finish. In a similar way, in, in chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, Paul emphasizes the importance of the Christian remembering the spiritual rules that are laid down for us in Scripture. We spend time in God's Word so that we get direction from God's word and his leading. I think that's what Paul is thinking about when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike blows to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the athlete must train hard. They must obey the rules. And the reason why we discipline ourselves is so that 
receive the prize and that we will finish well. Unfortunately, the Bible and church history is full of men and women who have started off the race well, but they have failed to get to the end because they don't obey God and they don't finish well. They don't lose their salvation. They lose It happened to Lot. It happened to Samson, to King Saul. It happened in the New Testament to Ananias and Sapphira. Listen, it can happen, it can happen to you. It is so exciting sometimes to run this daily. But it's also very challenging to run daily as we focus, as we work towards keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, there are difficult times on the road, on the journey. Remember my first marathon that I ever ran? I started off so fast. I am just doing amazingly well. And I get to about 20, 22 miles, and I just crash out. I... My legs are in so, are so much pain because of cramps. I, I, I feel nauseous. I'm dizzy. I, I, I come to, honestly, I come to an absolute standstill at four miles to go. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. I want to walk off. Any excuse off that road would have, would have done me at that moment. Somehow I managed to pull things together and just keep my mind on the, on the finish line and begin to walk and then run a little bit and walk and run a little bit. I do eventually run over the line. Problem is, I didn't pace myself very well. I didn't, I just, I got my, I just went so fast off at the beginning. The start was amazingly good, but you know what? It's not the start that counts. It's the finish. And yes, I got across the line, I even ran across the line. And I was so excited when I saw that finish line. You know, there's a day coming when we'll be even more excited, when we will see Jesus, when we cross the line, when we finish well. And listen, we want to keep pressing on, not to make ourselves look good, but for the glory and for the honor of Jesus, the one we love, the one we want to serve. You know, I look, it's been really interesting just just looking at at um, at the uh, as, at how Sue has lived out out her life as she's dealt with this with illness of hers, she has ran so well. She's given glory to God every single step of the way, and she still is giving honor and glory to God. And she will finish well. She will finish well. So don't stop running. Don't stop running. Starting is easy, but finishing well takes courage, it takes devotion, it takes direction, it takes determination, it takes discipline. And Paul knows that he's not there yet. It means if we are to keep going, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. We've got to keep looking ahead, and there's a certain hope that Jesus Christ will be there for us. It takes, it takes time sometimes to get our head around these things, to, to grow in maturity of these things. But the main thing in verse 16, keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep going. But actually, this is more than just a race. It's a chase. I know about you when I'm running, I, I find it much easier to run a bit faster when I'm trying to catch somebody else up. I guess it's the competitive nature within me. Can't help it, I suppose. 
but your chase is after Jesus. Do you remember that time when Jesus chased you, first of all, when he took hold of your life? But now that you belong to him, he wants to bring you home. He's calling you to chase after him, to follow him into glory. You need his help. You need to be filled with his spirit if you're going to forget the past, if you're going to focus on the future, if you are going to follow him. So run after him and finish well to the glory of God and for the joy both in this life but also in all of eternity. Let's just pray. Father, again, we, we thank you for, for your word. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we, you've given us everything that we need to run well. Thank you, Father, for sending your spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your direction and your guidance within our lives. But Jesus, we thank you most of all that you have dealt with our sin and our guilt and our past, that it is forgiven, that we stand here holy and blameless before you. And Lord, because of that, we want to run well. We want to run, Lord, towards you. We want to chase after you, Lord, with all the energy and strength that we have. And, and Father, just help us in that. Father, thank you. You, you give us the, the strength when we need it, Lord, to be able to do that, Lord. In our weakness, Lord, you make us strong. And we declare that over ourselves right now. So, Lord, we want to pursue you. We want to chase after you. And Father, we want to pray that your name would be glorified, that your name would be exalted in all that we do. We pray that in the Father's name, Jesus' name, by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks.